0: Good morning. I'm glad that you are here today, and I'm glad that you're worshiping with us. Those online and those over in the Life Center, thank you for joining us in worship today. We began a new series last week called Change. Say that with me. It's, what's the title of the series? If you've ever looked in the mirror and thought, my life isn't what I want it to be, then you know how hard it is sometimes to really change. Many times we want to change, we even try to change, but we find out that too often we're stuck in the same place, dealing with the same struggles, and what we thought would bring about change hasn't. You know, that problem that you had in your marriage last year, it's still a problem this year. That addiction that you had in college is still an addiction today. That broken relationship is still a broken relationship. That financial mess that you're in is still a financial mess. That that problem that you've been trying to fix, it hasn't been fixed, that stress that you've been under, you're still under it. And you said to yourself probably more than once, something has got to change. Well, today I want to show you a principle in the Word of God that may help you. I want to show you a principle in the Word of God that shows you and I that God actually wants to help us. When we're in those struggles and we're in those situations that just seem to keep going on and on and on. And we can't seem to quite conquer those things that are conquering us. That there is something that we can do in those situations. When when we're facing something that we don't know how to fix, that whatever it is God whatever it is you're facing, God can help you bring about change that you so desperately need. So the scripture I want to show you today is in Second Chronicles chapter sixteen. Verse 9, 2 Chronicles 16.9, we'll put that on the screen if you don't have your Bible. 2 Chronicles 16.9, I I would like to ask you if you would please, since it's on the screen, we can all read it together. Let's just read this verse out loud uh, from the screen or from your Bible if you have it there in front of you. Here's what the verse says, read it with me over in the Life Center, let's read it all together. Here's the verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Do you know what that verse is really saying? That verse is saying God is watching you. God is watching the way you live your life. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is watching how you live your life. Now, I've got a great Hebrew word for that. Wow! I mean, to think that Almighty God is actually watching the way I live my life. I don't know if you heard, but in seminary one time, there was a, going through the the, the lunch line, there was a big plate of uh, apples there. And there was a sign in front of the apples that said, take only one apple. Remember, God's watching. As they went on down the line, got your other things, and then there was a plate of cookies. And somebody, a seminary student, had written on the three-by-five card, get all the cookies you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> well, he is. He's watching the apples and the cookies, and he's watching everything else in your life. God's watching. God's watching. He's watching everything. But here's the question. Why? Why is God watching your life and mine? This verse gives us the answer. Here's the first point I want you to get today. God is watching for opportunities to bless your life. I'll say that again. God is watching for opportunities to bless your life. Let me tell you something that may shock some of you. God really does want to bless you. And for some of you, the way you've grown up, the family you grew up in, the religion you grew up in, or maybe in no religion at all, for some of you, you've grown up with the idea that God does not want to bless you. God wants to blast you. And God's not watching to help you, God's watching because he wants to catch you, do something wrong. For some of you, that's kind of been your mental image of God. That, yes, he's watching, but he's watching to see when you do something wrong so that he can blast you, not bless you. But That's not how God is portrayed in this text. The Bible says that God is looking for opportunities to bless you. Look at the text again. But the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. It's an amazing verse. Now, when I say God wants to bless you, I'm not talking about financial blessings. Though if He chooses to do that, He certainly could bless you that way. What I mean is this. When you're fully committed to God, God will be fully committed to you. God's eyes are watching to see if you are fully committed to Him. He actually wants to help you with whatever it is you're facing in life. That's what this verse is saying. That whatever it is you're facing in life, God's watching to see if you're committed to Him. And if you're committed to Him, guess what? He's going to be committed to you as you face that struggle in life. Now the word that I want you to focus on in that verse right now is the word strengthen. You can see it in in, uh, verse 9 there. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I looked up the word strengthen and it really has three different meanings. Uh, it's an interesting word. It, it could mean to give strength to those who are weak and tired. Certainly some of you could give testimony to that, that God has strengthened you in those ways. There have been days when God was watching and God noticed and God took notice and and God strengthened you when you were weak and tired emotionally or physically. If we had time, you could give testimony to how God strengthened you. you. If we had time, you could talk about Isaiah 40, 31 that says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some of you could say, I know God that way. God has done that for me. There have been days when God has strengthened me in that way. That word strengthened can also mean this. It can also mean to repair. How many believe that God is one who fixes broken things? Have you experienced that? That God is the God who can fix broken things in our lives. Do you have anything broken in your life right now? Maybe it's a broken dream. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a broken heart. Somebody said, when life is the hardest, God is the closest. The psalmist said something very similar in Psalm 34, 18. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, that's what this verse is talking about. That the eyes of the Lord are roaming throughout the earth, looking for somebody who needs to be strengthened. Perhaps it could mean somebody who needs God to fix something broken in their life. The word "strengthen" can also be translated this way. It could be translated to encourage. There are times in our walk with God that He does something so obviously that it's Him that it encourages us. There are times in our lives when we're discouraged and defeated and depressed and God in His marvelous ways come, come alongside us and encourage us in a very special way. Psalm 3.3 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and I love this, and the lifter of my head. There are times in life when our heads fall, our heads drop, and we wonder and we worry. And David wrote this psalm, Psalm 3, in one of the darkest, most shameful, sorrowful times of his life. But he found God to be the one who come alongside him to strengthen him. He found God to be the one who would encourage him. Ladies and gentlemen, all through the Bible, you'll see this principle at work. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Throughout the Bible, you'll see this again and again, that God desires to bless His people, and He watches for opportunities to bless them. But please notice who God helps. It says, those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Those are the people who can expect the blessing of God. Now think about it. This makes sense to me. I hope it would make sense to you. There are certain things that God chooses to bless. That means that there are certain things that God probably chooses not to bless. If He chooses to bless those whose hearts are fully committed to Him, then He probably is going to choose not to bless those... People whose hearts are not fully committed to Him. I mean, why would God want to bless someone who ignores Him? Why would God want to bless someone who disobeys Him? Why would God want to bless someone who is living in sin? No, in order to be blessable, there has to be this, this condition met. My heart is depending on Him. And I love that. Listen to this. You don't have to be a certain age to be blessable. You don't have to know a certain amount of the Bible to be blessable. You don't have to be a Christian for X number of years for God to bless you. No, this verse says the, the condition that must be met is, is one that anybody can meet a heart that's fully committed to Him, a heart that relies on God each day. Now, that's the principle that's found in 2 Chronicles 16:9. It's also found throughout the Bible. But there is a story connected to this principle. In other words, there is a context for this text that I want you to be aware of. There's an amazing story connected to this verse. I want you to go back a couple of chapters. Chapter 14. And let's start the story. I want to tell you this true story. Actually, chapter 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. In chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, you really have the story of a family whose heart is committed to the Lord. It begins, the, the story begins with a king named Abijah, and then it, the story translates to, another, to his son who became king. His name was Asa. And So let's just kind of pick up the story. Uh, Asa grew up watching his father, who was king, rely on God. He watched his father live out this principle of Second Chronicles sixteen nine. He watched his father make decisions. He watched his father live his life. He watched his father depend on God. Asa spent his life watching his dad live that way as he was king of Judah. Let me show you in the text what I'm talking about. In chapter three, or I'm sorry, chapter thirteen, verse three. Here's what we read. Abijah went into the battle with a force of 400,000 able-fighting men, and Jeroboam drew up a battle line against him with 800,000 able troops. So in this text, in chapter 13, it's really a story about a battle between Judah and Israel. Judah, led by King Abijah, had 400,000 able-fighting men. Jeroboam came up against him with twice that number, 800,000 fighting men. Now let's see what happens. Skip on down for a second time to verse 12. So Abijah is trying to explain to the people, you can rely on God in this time. I know this is a battle we're not likely going to win on our own. I know we're facing something that's bigger than we are, but you can rely on God during this time. And here's what he says, verse 12. God is with us. He is our leader. His priests and their trumpets will sound the battle cry against you. And men of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you will not succeed. Now Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear so that while he was in front of Judah, the ambush was behind them. And Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked at front and rear. And then they cried out to the Lord, and the priests blew their trumpets. And the men of Judah raised the battle cry. At the sound of their battle cry, God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah skip down to verse 18. The men of Israel were subdued on that occasion, and the men of Judah were victorious because, watch this, it's underlined in my Bible, because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Asa saw his daddy to live that way. Asa saw his daddy rely on the Lord, and Asa later became king, and guess what he did? Asa also lived his life relying on the Lord, at least for a while. Let's look at his story. Asa spent, he became king and he lived out this principle for 35 years. For the sake of time, I want you to go to chapter 14, verse 8. In chapter 14, verse 8, Asa is now king of Judah. He also is going to be in in a big battle, and it's going to be with overwhelming odds. Odds. He's likely going to get defeated, except he remembers the way his daddy lived and the way his daddy fought. He always depended on the Lord as God. His heart was committed to and depended on the Lord as God. Asa lived out this same principle, beginning in verse 8. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows, and all these were brave fighting men, and Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and three hundred chariots, and came as far as Marisha. And Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zarephath near Marisha. And then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God. Watch this, for we we do what, church? We rely on you and in your name we have come against this vast army. O oh Lord, we, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. We are relying on you. And he won that battle because he was relying on the Lord. Skip on down now to chapter 15. Asa's victory led him into greater times of living for the Lord. You see... Beginning in chapter 15, verses 8 through 18, there were some major reforms that Asa made. And I'm not going to read all of that, but Asa went through the land tearing down altars, pagan altars. He, he did everything he could do to remove everything that was uh, evil in his land. And he, his heart was fully committed to the Lord his God. He wanted to make sure that everyone in the land was serving the Lord his God. And so look at, look at verse, for example. Look at verse 12. They entered into a covenant. Asa and his people, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, their God, the the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. They entered into a covenant together. Let's all seek God. It was a time of revival. It was a time of reform. Verse 15, all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. For 35 years, everybody look up here, for 35 years, 35 years he lived out this principle in Second Chronicles sixteen nine. For 35 years he experienced the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And he lived this out for 35 years fully committed to the Lord. Now here's the second point. We foolishly can turn to substitutes for God. We foolishly can turn to substitutes for God. You see, in his 36th year, something changed. Look at the text with me. Chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, the 36th year of his reign, the king of Israel went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. In other words, another battle, another opposition. This time, another king coming against him. Look what happened in verse 2. Something has changed. Look what happened in verse 2. Asa then took silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace, and he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Baasha, the king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Now, now, we really need to take a little time for the context, but let me just try to explain it to you this way. So you have Judah here in the south, you have Israel in the north, and you have Syria above that. Asa, when he was attacked by the king of Israel, This time, rather than relying upon God like he had done for 35 years. This time, rather than turning to God for help like he had done for 35 years and like he had seen his father do. This time, for whatever reason, he came up with his own ideas. He came up with his own plan. And rather than turning to God and relying upon God, he took money out of the temple of God and sent it to the king of Syria. And said, if you will join with me, you can attack from the north. And, and when, when you're from the north and I'm from the south, the king of Israel will have to turn around and flee. In other words, Asa came up with his own solution. He wasn't relying upon the Lord anymore. He was relying upon men and money. He was relying upon politics. And guess what? His plan worked. Uh, if I was writing the story, I'd have written it differently. If I was writing the story, I'd have written how he failed, and, and everything fell apart. But no, his plan worked. It worked perfectly. But can I say t- something to you? Just because your plans are working, that doesn't mean your life is honoring God. Just because you're successful in what you're doing, you may be failing in your relationship with God. His plan worked. But here's the thing: God was watching. And God knows the condition of your heart. You see, something changed between year 35 and year 36. We're not exactly sure why. We're not exactly sure what. But something definitely changed for Asa. His heart changed. And it was evident that he was no longer relying on God. And so let's see what happens. After he wins the battle, let's see what happens. Beginning of verse 7. At that time, Hen and I... The seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army, with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And then he says, watch what he says to him, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. You have done a foolish thing. I know that right now, we're in the middle of the World Series, it's tied up, Houston Astros, Washington Nationals, two games to two. Now, let's just pretend for a moment, if you just use your, your sanctified imagination, that, that it actually goes to game seven. And I'm not sure, I think game seven is in Washington. But I'm at least going to say it is. But uh, it's game seven, Washington, D.C. The Nationals are leading in the bottom of the ninth by one run. Bases are loaded. Astros have the bases loaded. There's two outs, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Astros could easily get a hit, score one run to tie it or even two runs to win it. World Series is at stake. And the manager knowing that his pitcher is struggling decides it's time to make a change. So he does what so often those managers do, they walk out and they do and make the sign. Give me the left-handed hitter or left-handed pitcher. Bring him in for the bullpen. And so everybody assumes he's talking about the best relief pitcher they got out in the bullpen and so the left-handed pitcher comes running out and the manager waves him off, said, no, 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 no. Give me the left-handed pitcher right here. And so there's only one other guy out there and so he goes running out too and the manager waves him off and said, no, 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 not him, not him. Then the manager, one more time, him, him, that 59-year-old guy in the right field stands, the pudgy, bald-headed guy, him. And I stand up. And I say, you mean me? Yeah. I've got arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis and a bum shoulder. Yeah, you're the guy I want. Come out here. And so I climb down on the stands. I go to the mound. He picks up the ball. And he says, two outs. The World Series is at stake. We've got bases loaded. We just need you to get this guy out. And he tosses the ball to me. He said, oh, by the way, have you ever pitched before? In the front yard. Have you ever played baseball? Yeah, in a little league. But I was a catcher. And I got a bum shoulder and I got rheumatoid arthritis. Are you sure you want me to do this? Win the game for us, Shorter. Okay. Okay. Now, as he walked back to the, to the dugout, everybody in the stadium would be saying the same thing. He has done a foolish thing. Except there'd be some four-letter words mixed in there. Everybody on the radio, everybody on the television would say, He has done a foolish thing. He had his best relief pitcher coming in, but instead he put the ball in Shorter's hand. He has done a foolish thing. That's what God said to Asa. God said, you you know, you know when you contacted Ben-Hadad and you gave him money from the Lord's treasury? You did a foolish thing. You relied on men when you could have relied on God. You took the ball and you said, God's hand or Ben-Hadad? God's hand, let's go with Ben-Hadad. You've done a foolish thing. Then he goes on to say this. From now on, verse 9, from now on, you will be at war. In other words, there are consequences to our decisions that we can avoid. There are consequences that we have to live with sometimes. And usually there are consequences we never would have chosen. But yet, because we made a decision prior to that, a decision to rely upon self, a decision not to rely upon God, because we decided we could handle it, because we decided we got this, we made a foolish decision, we turned away from God and turned to substitutes for God. Whenever you turn to a substitute for God, you're always going to end up in a bad place. Now, before we end the story, we've got to get down to verse 12 because God graciously gave Asa an opportunity to turn back to him. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, watch this, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord but only from the physicians. had this severe problem in his feet. We don't know what it was, but the Bible calls it severe. And it indicates that probably this was from the Lord to give him a chance to turn back. But even in his illness, he did not turn back to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with turning to the doctors, but the whole point of the story was this. He should also have turned back to the Lord. This was a one final chance for him He missed it. Really, when you study the story and the life of Asa, it's almost like you're looking at two different people. There's the before picture of Asa, who for 35 years served God wholeheartedly. Then there's the after picture of Asa, who died with a hard heart, far from God. When you compare the way he was in chapter fourteen and fifteen to the way he ended in chapter sixteen, the change is amazing and tragic. It's heartbreaking. But maybe you understand what that's like. Maybe you you know the heartbreak of of having. One chapter of your life where you're very committed to the Lord, and maybe now you're in another chapter of your life where you're not so much committed. One chapter of your life where you used to be so on fire for the Lord, but now you're in another chapter of your life where not so much. One chapter of your life where your heart was committed and loyal and devoted to the Lord God, and now there's a time in your life where, even in your illness, even in your problems, even with everything that's going wrong in your life, you still stubbornly refuse to turn your heart back to God. Charles Spurgeon said, if we're not seeking the Lord, the devil is seeking us. That's a powerful statement. If we're not seeking the Lord, the devil is seeking us. It reminds me of Psalm 3410 that says, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You see, God's actually looking at your life right now and how you're live, living your life, and He wants to bless your life. But the determining factor, is whether or not your heart is fully committed to Him. Look at this last statement on the screen. God is watching. God is watching to see if your heart is fully committed to him. How important is it that God be involved in your life and helping you with what you're facing and strongly supporting what you're doing? God wants to do that for you. There's change in your life that needs to come about. You know it. God knows it. And he's waiting for you to say, will you be committed to me with all of your heart? Because he's watching to see if you're committed enough to him to let him have control your heart. Now, I want to ask you a question with every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you please close your eyes? Let me ask you this question. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I really believe that the scripture... It's for somebody here today. And the question I want to ask you is this one. Is your life blessable? You, some of you really need God to bless your life. You really need God's intervention in your life. But is your life blessable? The thing that makes your life blessable is not how long you've been a Christian. The thing that makes your life blessable is the condition of your heart. Is your heart fully committed to Him? For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Today is your opportunity to turn your heart back to the Lord. Say, God, I've been distant. I've been cold. I've been distracted. I've turned to substitutes for you. God, I need to turn my heart back to you today. Some of you, for the very first time, give your heart to the Lord Jesus. Because you've grown up in an environment where you thought God was looking to blast you, but now you understand that God really wants your, what's best for you. Turn your heart to Him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart and come into my life. I surrender my life to you. God wants to bless you if your heart is fully committed and yielded to Him. Do, do that today.